Like I say, I feel like such a rebel whenever the song leader says, please be seated, everyone, and I keep standing, but that's the way it goes. Good morning, church. In anticipation of Brother Hunter's visit and preaching a sermon tonight, I have decided to preach a lesson this morning entitled, The Essentiality of Fruitfulness in God's Eternal Plan and Purpose. The Essentiality of Fruitfulness in God's Eternal Plan and Purpose. If you are unaware or unfamiliar with who Brother Hunter is and his purpose in coming tonight, then I would encourage you to go home and to read the bulletin that you received electronically if you are on the e-bulletin list. If you're not, that's a good thing to get on. And if you don't receive it via email, then there are paper copies out here in the foyer uh, just beyond the little slanted table out there on the left. And again, I would encourage you to do that so you can uh, discover Brother Hunter's purpose and his reason for coming here tonight. But of course, this isn't just about that, not by a long shot. This lesson this morning is one that is designed, uh, while in light of, of his coming, it's one that hopefully that we can benefit from every day in our lives as Christians. The essentiality of fruitfulness in God's eternal plan and purpose. You know, it's amazing how many times in the Bible this principle of fruit production is mentioned. Numerous times it is mentioned. It is a precept or a principle that God himself established right from the very beginning. In fact, if you'll open in your Bibles with me to Genesis, right in the beginning, chapter 1, we will see its origins. And again, I would encourage you, as I often do, to make sure you take out a Bible and check out every word I say. I can make mistakes. And as some of you know, been here a while, I do sometimes make a mistake, like saying it's First Peter when it's second or vice versa, as recently happened. So please take out a Bible and make sure that everything that you hear here is straight out of the Word of God. God is always right. <clears throat> the first occurrence of the word fruitful in the Scriptures is found right here in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 22, wherein God established, established the once and for all time truth that his physical creation was from its very inception blessed and divinely designed, blessed and divinely designed to always and only bring forth or multiply after its own kind to be perpetually fruitful in self-replication. We see this in Genesis 1 beginning at verse 20 if you'd follow along. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. Watch this now. <clears throat> and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Notice the phraseology. 
God blessed them and said, be fruitful. Being fruitful is a blessing. And we're going to see those two words tied together several times here. The same exact principle, the same exact unchanging and exclusive truth that, that fruitfulness is a blessing and it is essential. We see it not only in the creation of, of those things that we talked about there in verses 21 and following, uh, verses 20, 21, and 22, but we also see this same principle when God brought forth man after his own image or created man in his own image. Notice with me Genesis 1, a little further down the page, verse 27. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. Again, God blessed them and said, be fruitful. Blessing, the blessing is, is being fruitful. Not only that, but we would also notice from this text, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention it before we moved on this morning, that God's one and only, original and exclusive, perpetual and ongoing, once and for all, precept and divinely designed pattern is for male, or female. Nothing else different, nothing in between, ever, period. And it does not matter, and I say this with all the love in my heart, just looking at the Word of God, but it still needs to be said. It doesn't matter what or how people might identify with or as, God, this is so key, God, our Creator, identified us himself as either male or female and he identified us as either male or female as he created us right from the beginning he identified us with this that when one male and one female get together they can produce offspring that's the identification that's how we know that that that's God's identification no matter what people may identify as one male, one female can get together be fruitful and multiply producing offspring that are also either male or female, after their own kind. And not some perverted combination of both or some confused being in between. That's God's plan. That's God's creation. That's God's divine truth. That's his pattern. That's right there in the beginning. They can be fruitful in that way. Moving on. Not only do we see this precept emphasized again and again in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you just a few other places where this principle is found in connection with some very well-known accounts and characters in Genesis. Very quickly, in Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, it says, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Was that a command from God? Be fruitful. 
That was essential. What if they hadn't done that? What if there was only eight people? What happens when they died? No population. The essentiality of being fruitful, the essentiality, the necessity, this is in God's plan and purpose. We see it again in Genesis 9 and verse 1. So God blessed, there's our word blessed, right before fruitful. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. One more time, fruitfulness was not an option. It was the result of a blessing received. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6, love to hear those Bibles flip. I don't know what I'm going to do when you all get electric devices that have your, your Bibles on them because I'm not going to hear those. Maybe, maybe what you could do for me is find a sound effect in your electronic device that sounds like pages. I don't know. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6. God told Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And we know, of course, that not only did they, but our king, our Lord and Savior, came from Abraham as well. And fourthly and finally, just for showing how much this is in there, and we could, we could spend a lot of time in a lot of other verses, but we don't need to. Fourthly and finally, from the book of Genesis, we would notice that blessed and faithful Joseph in Genesis 49 and verse 22 is referred to as a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well, which ties in with our Wednesday night sermon series, whose branches run over the wall. So while we see this essentiality of, of being fruitful throughout the Old Testament in the physical realm in all of these passages, the New Testament gives us many examples of how being fruitful is an essentiality in God's spiritual realm as well in the New Testament. The Old Testament is about the fruitfulness in the physical realm that was an essentiality. The New Testament has so much to say about being fruitful in the spiritual realm. Starts right out, Matthew chapter 3, please turn there with me if you would. It is, again, amazing how much this precept is found. Matthew 3, beginning at verse 5, John the Baptist comes talking about Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. And it says in verse 5 of Matthew 3, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. See, he knew these people were coming, and they weren't willing to repent. They weren't willing to change their life. They weren't willing to turn to God. And he said, you need to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. You need to live in such a way that you bring forth good fruit. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you, God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He said, look, it would be sort of like today we're saying, well, I'm a Christian. I don't have to bear fruit. I'm a Christian. He said, no, you need to. He's telling these people who, who based their, their belonging to God on the fact that they were literally descended from Abraham. He said, don't, don't count on that. You need to bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. Don't just talk about it. Don't just come out here to be baptized. You need to bear fruit. And we see the essentiality again, verse 10 even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Is that true? Is it true? How do you know it's true? 
because the Bible says so. Period. That is still true today. Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Do you know that our Lord Jesus Christ said almost exactly that same phrase, word for word, in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 19 when he said, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus said the same thing. Same thing. How essential is fruit production to God in his people? Well, very familiar account in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Please turn there if you would. Matthew chapter 13. I want to begin in verse 18. The question I want you to, to, to lock in this morning on is, how essential is it that I bear fruit? How, how much do I really need to do that? Matthew 13, beginning at verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Didn't do him any good. Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when trouble and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the person who, who comes and they're full of joy and they, they like what's going on in the church and... and Things are, are good and they, they soak it up, but as time goes by, they start to drift and the cares and the worries of this world just kind of choke out the fruit. There's, there's no fruit. There's no real lasting growth. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Moves on in verse 22. But he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Look at this. And he becomes unfruitful. Money and the things of the world become more important and it's slowly, just like you have a garden and you have this, this crop or you have flowers or you have vegetables or something and, and the weeds just come in and slowly take it over to the point that <clears throat> what you've planted there doesn't get any sun, doesn't get any nutrients and it dies and, and that's the idea that Jesus is putting across here. He becomes unfruitful, he doesn't produce anything. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground, this is who we all want to be, this is the one. He who receives the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, he understands it, and indeed, or who indeed, bears fruit and produces. Isn't that the one you want to be, the one that Jesus said, this is the one? But notice what identifies this one as the one. Bears fruit, produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, it's... Interesting in Luke's account of this same event, Luke uses a few different words. He says it this way in Luke chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. He says, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. I think that's a really good wording. They, they hear it, they accept it, they start to grow, but they bring no fruit to maturity. And then finally, verse 15 of Luke 8, he says, But the ones that fell on the good ground <clears throat> are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Brethren, it takes patience to produce fruit. We're not all going to 
come right up out of the baptistry. We're not all going to just go right out there and charge right out there and, and do all of these things automatically. It's just like when you plant a garden. You plant a garden. You plant something that you want to see grow. It doesn't just, you, you don't just put it in there, the dirt, just stand back and go, poof, and there it is. It doesn't work that way. We all know that. It takes fertilizer. It takes sun. It takes time. It's a process. This is a process. So don't get down if, if you're fairly new Christian and all of a sudden, you know, you haven't led 100,000 people to the Lord. You know, it's a process. We have to bear fruit with patience, but still bear. Back in Matthew chapter 21, if you'll turn back there, turn forward to there, Matthew chapter 21, two stellar examples of the essentiality, the necessity of producing fruit if we're followers of Jesus. Matthew chapter 21, first example. Monday morning, Jesus is preparing to enter the city of Jerusalem and he's hungry. And it says in verse 19, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. You see, when you see a fig tree and it's got all kinds of foliage and green leaves on it, that is a sign, an outward sign, that it's a healthy fig tree and it's got all kinds of fruit. So you see, you see a fig tree from a distance and, and you're hungry and it's got all this green, and it, it's like, wow, this thing's got to be loaded with fruit, right? But you get up to it and all it's got is green leaves. There's no fruit on it. It's, it. It looks like it ought to be productive. It's all set up to be productive, but it really is worthless because it's producing nothing. And this was a good symbol, as it were, of a bad thing that was about to happen. This was a symbol of what was going to happen with the nation of Israel because you see the nation of Israel, as he's going to go on to tell us here in parable form in just a minute, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. They were set up to, to really excel and produce fruit and, and God gave them everything to do that and, and they didn't. So God would eventually cut them off as his people. We see this as we move down here in verse 33 of Matthew 21. Please follow me. Jesus said, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He took care of it, set it all up to produce. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. God said, okay, I've set this thing up. I have left it with these people, and now it's time for me to, to have and partake of the harvest that I set them up to produce. But that isn't what happens. The vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Jesus trying to get a point across. He set the nation of Israel up very well. He set them up, and we've talked about this recently as well in our Sunday night sermon series on the well, we, we've talked about how they would come into the promised land, they'd have houses that they hadn't built, they would have vineyards that they hadn't planted, they'd have wells that they hadn't dug. They, they were all set up to be God's people. God set them up beautifully. 
But the problem was, was they didn't want to produce fruit for him. They didn't want to give him his due. So Jesus says in verse 40, Therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Isn't that exactly what happened? When Jesus died on the cross, did away with the old law, God gained a new people, spiritual Israel or Christians became his chosen people because those people who were his chosen in the Old Testament did not produce the, the fruit. And, and these are, are Israelites who are answering him here. They know what this parable means. And Jesus says to them, verse 42, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, watch this now, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, he's talking to Israelites, and given to a nation, what? Bearing the fruits of it. Well, what was the dividing line there between their remaining the people of God and them being rejected as the people of God and replaced, as, as it were? What, what, what would be the, divi the dividing line would be God wants his people to bear fruit, always. Fruit production is essential to being a Christian. We see this reinforced in John 15 just incredibly well, and I, I mentioned this on, uh, just recently in our Bible class, but if you turn to John 15, I'm not going to read it all, but I want us to see this principle yet again. Jesus talked, we, we talk so much about some of the things Jesus said. Do you know that as I read about fruit production, I mean, I didn't count the instances, but I believe Jesus talked a lot more about fruit production than he did baptism. Some of these things need to really be brought hardcore to our mind. In, in John chapter 15, first eight verses, notice how essential fruit production is. Jesus said in verse two, every branch in him, is talking about those who are in Christ, we know that we're only in Christ when we're baptized into Christ, as the Bible puts that in two different places, how to get into Christ. In him, every branch in him, John 15, 2, that does not bear fruit. What does it say? He takes away. That's pretty clear. As a Christian, we have to bear fruit. Verse 5, Jesus says, whoever abides in him and he in them bears much fruit. This is a sign, this is a, a symbol or an indication of, of the fact that we are his, is that we are producing fruit according to John 15 and verse 5. And finally notice verse 8 of John 15. The whole reading is important, but verse 8, bearing much fruit, as I just said in a Bible class earlier, is how we do two things. Number one, it's how we glorify God. Now God is glorified that we bear much fruit. And it's also how we validate that we are his disciple. Again, John 15, 8. How important do you think this is? In Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, there's a passage here that we often use to talk about the essentiality of repentance, how one must repent. You can't just you can't just be baptized and rise to walk in newness of life. The Bible says in Acts 2.38, you need to repent and be baptized. It means change your life. It means turn to God. Start living for God with all that you've got. 
That's what the word repent means. And there's a passage here in Luke 13 that, that we often use in, in the Lord's church to talk about the essentiality of repentance. We, we would begin in Luke 13, 1. We would notice the, verse fi the first five verses. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Does he make repentance essential? Absolutely. Or Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Does Jesus tell us again that repentance is essential? Absolutely. And we always stop right there. And we shouldn't. Because what I want you to see and understand is that Jesus therefore then goes on to immediately talk about the type of repentance that they need to be doing. You know what kind of repentance they needed to be doing? Because he's talked about if you don't repent, you're going to perish. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. He's told them twice in Luke 13, 1 through 5. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. And the very next section of scripture tells them how. You know the repentance they needed? They needed to start producing some fruit. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keepers of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit, well, but if not after that, you can cut it down. What's the point? The point is, number one, don't, don't disconnect the first five verses from verses six through nine. D don't disconnect them. God doesn't put things in a haphazard order. Understand that the repentance that they needed was to start bearing fruit. And as you read about the bearing fruit in verses six through nine, apparently they've been going on for some time in this parable Jesus told a few years and produced no fruit. And, and so it's time to, to get rid of this, this tree that's producing nothing, but the groundskeeper, if you will, keeper of the vineyard says, wait a minute, how about this? How about I really work on this thing? How about I dig around it, I, I fertilize it, and the idea here is I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep trying with this thing. I, I know it hasn't produced any fruit, but let me, let me take another shot at it. Let me, let me dig and, and fix it and fertilize it and, and do the things, maybe, maybe just, and, and if that doesn't work, then you can cut it down. But once again, in this whole thing, we see the importance. You know, if, if we haven't been producing fruit, we need to repent, and, and this is a good passage that it talks about that. So you might say, okay, so what, what kind of fruit? How do we know what fruit is and what fruit isn't? Well, because God's good enough to tell us exactly what fruit is and what fruit isn't. There are several different kinds of fruit, just like in the, in the Garden of Eden, in the physical creation. Remember God said, of any of the trees of the fruit of the garden you can eat. There were multiple varieties. There are all kinds of different trees. Well, there are different kinds of fruit. And maybe not all of us can produce every fruit, but there's a number of different kinds of fruit that are talked about in the New Testament. So let's take a look at, at some of these essential to eternal life. Productions of fruit 
in the New Testament. They take on several different names and forms and types. For example, and if you're taking notes, that would be good because I'm not going to turn to most of these. First one, for example, is the fruit to holiness. The fruit to holiness. It, it's mentioned in Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. Where does this fruit to holiness come from? Where, where, where does it originate? How do, I, how do I get it to come about? Well, Romans chapter 6 is all about our baptism into Christ and rising up to walk in this new life. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So when we repent and are baptized, as it talks about in Acts 2.38, how when we're buried with him in baptism, as it says there in, in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4, verses 5 and following tell us that we rise up to walk in newness of life. And part of that rising up to newness of life is putting out fruit, bearing fruit to holiness, bearing holy fruit, living a holy lifestyle, a lifestyle devoted to the holiness of God. And that brings forth, again, this fruit to holiness, Romans 6 and verse 22. Another reference to fruit in the New Testament by a little different name is what James refers to as the fruit of righteousness in James chapter 3 and verse 18. He talks about the fruit of righteousness which is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brethren, everywhere you look in the world today, somebody wants to fight over something. It's everywhere. Doesn't matter what you want to talk about, somebody wants to fight about it. Our fruit to righteousness, James tells us in James chapter 3, it's actually in verses 13 through 18, but in verse 18 is where he uses that particular phrase. He said, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Question. Where you go and the conversations that you get involved in, are you bringing forth the fruit of peace? That's a good question because we are to bring forth fruit and this is just one of them. The fruit of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. We're all very familiar, of course, with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. It's also mentioned in Ephesians 5, 9. And this is essential. And, and so as we talk about producing fruit in our lives, we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Question, are we being fruitful in producing love? joy. When people see us, do they say, they're a very loving person? Do we bring forth joy? Do you, I mean, this is a season where everybody's all tied up with, with joy and what the world calls joy, we don't always, but when we interact with people, do we produce the fruit of joy? Do we bring others joy by serving them or helping them or, or whatever, sharing the part of the gospel with them? Do we bring others joy? Is that a fruit we produce? Joy. What about peace? We've talked about that in James. Patience. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. How many of you are more patient with others now than you were a year ago or five years ago? See, that's fruit production. That's, that's producing fruit. That's getting more patient with people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Do people see you as a kind person? Do they see the fruit? 
Not just, oh, that person goes to church, so they ought to be a kind person. That, that's like the fig tree where you see just the leaves, but there's no fruit. It ought to be producing, but it ain't. Do people, people look at us and say, well, they ought to be a kind person, they go to church, or do they look at us and see the fruit and say, wow, that was really nice. That, that's one of the kindest things anybody's done for me this holiday season. That's, that's fruit production. That's real. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. When's the last time somebody really got on your nerves? Don't raise your hands for that either because I don't want to know. I mean, they got on your nerves. You'd had a rough day as it was, you were down to one nerve, and they jumped on it. Did you produce the fruit of self-control? Could they see self-control in your life? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's fruit production. That's another form of fruit that we are to have in our lives. Yet another one, another essential to eternal life fruit production involves our, Hebrews 13, 15, continually offering the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We often take that, that passage, the fruit of our lips, and say, well, I sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God on Sunday with the church. Well, that's awesome. Does God have the fruit of your lips when it comes to the people that you interact with through the week? Do you praise God to them? Do you tell them what a great thing it is to be a Christian? Do you, do you tell them what, what great things the Lord has done for you? Is, is God praised by the fruit that comes out of your lips on a daily basis? And finally, we've been talking Wednesday night in the adult Bible class, and I'll kind of apologize to those of you who have been in it. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but, but I think it bears repeating in light of this lesson. We have discussed at length Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul said that he prayed the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. You want to fully please God? Be fruitful. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. And, and I made the point in that class, and I'm going to make it again just briefly here. It is so hard sometimes to convince people that we were saved to do more than just go to heaven. You and I were not simply saved to go to heaven. Were we saved to go to heaven? Yes. Did Jesus give his blood so we could go to heaven? Yes. If we're in Christ, does his blood cover our sins? Yes. Do we look forward to going to heaven? Yeah, but that's not the totality of why we were saved. You see, the Bible, as, as much as it tells us we were saved to go to heaven, it tells us we were saved to do good works. That was the whole purpose. God bought us back in the first place. The whole reason he purchased us. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him, listen to this, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Romans 7, 4 says the whole reason Jesus was raised so you and I could be fruitful. And it's not the only place. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think about that. It doesn't say for going to heaven. It says we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And before you were ever saved, before you ever were baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, before you ever repented and turned to God, God had some good works in mind for you to do, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what we were saved for, according to Ephesians 2.10. And, and finally, in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it clearly states, 
the same thing that we were saved to serve, to bring forth fruit, when it says, talks about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We don't earn our salvation through works, but we sure do thank God through our works because he did save us through the blood of Christ. It's essential. It's a principle established right from the very beginning in the physical world, and we see it throughout the spiritual world in the New Testament. So we've looked at a lot of different kinds of fruit that we're to be producing. But when we take all of them and, and put them together, I think it's safe to say that all of those things, the, the fruit of our lips and telling others about Jesus and, and, and the, the good works and the love, joy, peace, patience that we're to exhibit, and, and all of those things are there for one reason. Those fruit are important because they all help to lead to the greatest fruit of all. You know what the greatest fruit of all is? That we bring forth Christians, that we lead others to Jesus. There's no greater fruit. In the beginning, God established that each was to bring forth after its own kind and Christians are to share the gospel and bring forth after their own kind. Christians producing Christians that's the kind of fruit that, that ultimately that we should be bearing. This is one of the reasons that we as a congregation are so thrilled, thrilled to have the privilege of financially participating in the MANA Project and other programs like it. The MANA Project is, is, is bringing forth massive and magnificent amounts of fruit, both in the physical as well as the spiritual realm, which is only going to help produce seeds to bring forth more fruit. As, as Justin, Justin is here and he talks about all the souls that are being saved and the work that they're doing in these foreign countries and how they're, they're teaching these, these ministers to support themselves agriculturally so that American dollars don't need to keep going over there. and, and, and and this is a wonderful thing to be involved in. We're part of that producing fruit. As, as he said, when we, when we give them some of the money that's taken from the offering here to support that work, as Justin said, we become partners with them in that fruit production. And that's one of the reasons we're so grateful to do this. But here's the thing. We're not just to be fruit producers congregationally, but individually. Individually. It's not just about money we put in a plate. We are... Listen, you have a circle of friends and co-workers and family and classmates and you, you have people that nobody else can probably reach but you with the truth. You have people in your social circle and no foreign missionary is ever going to probably go to them. Probably it wouldn't do any good if the preacher or the elders showed up at their door. But you know them and they know you. They know the type of person you are. They know that you are loving, joyful, peaceful. They know those fruits are in your life. They know the fruit of, of your lips. You talk about Jesus to them. They know that you're trustworthy because you're a Christian and you've proven that you are. And they see all this good fruit and, and they want to know, okay, so, so what is this thing you're into? I'll tell you, we need to understand the essentiality of individual fruitfulness as well. And we learn that very, very, very starkly. From Matthew 25, verses 14 through 46, where it talks about the, the ones who were given the, 
the talents. The man was given five, and he invested them, got a lot back, and the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. And the one who got three invested his real well, and, and the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. And he comes to the last man who'd only received one talent, and this man had buried it in the ground. No fruit. No fruit. He, he, had, he hadn't invested it. He hadn't tried to do anything with it. He hadn't tried to make anything of what the master gave him. He just buried it in the ground. And Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant. Why? No fruit. No fruit. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. And so, individually, we need to be fruit-producing people. That's one of the reasons I'm so grateful for what Kirk does on the Marco Polo app every morning is, is tries to get us to think about the day and how we're going to introduce and interject Jesus and his word into any conversation that we have. Plant seeds, plant seeds, bring forth fruit. This morning, I think it's been well proven that bearing fruit is not optional. It's essential. It's a principle God laid down from the beginning. And we have to do it. We should do it. We should want to do it after all we've been given. And so tonight, Randall Hunter is going to be here. He is a good brother from Owasso, and he's going to be here to tell us about a process that has enabled the Owasso Church of Christ to plant a lot of seeds and cultivate a lot of spiritual fruit to harvest to the glory of God. And because Producing fruit is, is so important. I hope that every one of you that can be here will be here no matter what age you are. And see if, just see, just see if it's something, I'm not sure the fullness of all he's going to say. He called me on the phone. I wouldn't even recognize him unless he introduced himself. I don't know him that well. But he's, he's so excited about this. And he said it's producing fruit. And again, the numbers are in the bulletin. And so I hope you'll be here tonight because producing fruit is so important. And, and as he talks about that, maybe it's something we can do, maybe it isn't, I don't know. But, but it's one more avenue to perhaps help us to fully please God in every good work. In conclusion this morning, I want you to turn with me to one final text in John chapter 4, and then we will conclude. John chapter 4. This is a text that I use to wrap up with because it tells us beyond any shadow of doubt that when we actively seek to save and bring souls to the Lord, that we are not only entering into the labor of the Lord, we are not only entering into labor of those who went before us and his other faithful disciples, but what we are actually doing, and, and I love this, what we are actually doing when we reach out with the gospel and we try to to bear fruit in the form of bringing forth Christians after our own kind when we do that the Bible says we are gathering fruit for eternal life that's the phraseology in John chapter 4 please follow me along in verses 35 through 38 as we conclude do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. If I may interject here for just a moment, they're saying, wait four months. There's still four months, and then we'll harvest. Well, what's the idea here? Well, we don't have to right now. We'll wait. And Jesus said, no, no, it's there now. Don't, don't wait four months. He, that's, that's the implication here of these two verses. He said, look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. In other words, what are you waiting for? Look at verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for 
eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap which I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Gathers fruit for eternal life. I want eternal life. Everything I do on this earth, I want eternal life. And that eternal life involves doing what God said because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And years ago, I heard the gospel. That's essential to eternal life. And I believed the gospel, and that's essential to eternal life. And I decided to repent, that is, turn to God with all of my life, give him everything. Not just saying I did it, but truly giving up whatever it took to follow him. Born in Maine, preaching in Oklahoma, enough said. <laughs> to repent. And I decided at that point, because it's essential to eternal life that we confess, that I would be willing to tell anybody who'd listen, I was a Christian, and how they could become one. And then, somebody showed me what the Bible said about being baptized, how you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, how, how you need to do that to wash away your sins. See, until you realize you're a sinner and you're lost in sin and you're not going to heaven, then baptism won't do you any good. And I realized I was really messed up and I needed some help and I was bad off and I had sinned and I didn't want to go to hell. So, as the Bible says, I was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins specifically, which God requires, Acts 2 and verse 38. And he tells us in Revelation 2.10 that we have to be faithful until death, and I'm trying to do that right now. I try and do that every day, all for one reason. I want to go to heaven for eternity. God says all those things are required, but here's the thing. He also says, John chapter 4, verses 35 through 38, that in order for eternal life, then I also must be fruitful. Fruitful. This morning, if you're here and you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there's, there, there's, there's a good understanding that's involved in that. Maybe you need somebody to sit down and study with you. It's really important because until your sins are forgiven, you're not going to heaven in the presence of God, and that's why baptism is so important, but it's gotta be for that reason, and, and you need to understand what that's about. We'd love to study with you. We've got some folks right now that are studying that very thing because they wanna to go to heaven. If you've already done that, maybe you've heard the sermon this morning, you said, what, you know what? I, I just, I'm no more patient today than I was five years ago. I'm no more loving or joyful, and I know I ought to be, and I should be, and I wanna be, but I ain't. Maybe, you're not producing fruit. Maybe it's hard for you to talk to people about Jesus. If you are weak in any of these areas and you know you need to be more fruitful, you've seen how fruitful you need to be, but you know that you're not, we'll pray for you, right church? We'll pray for you and we will encourage you and some of us who also struggle to reach out to other people, and believe me, there are a lot of them here, okay? We'll form around you and do everything we can to encourage one another. If, if you have a need either to be baptized this morning for the forgiveness of your sins or for the prayers of the church that you'd produce more fruit because fruit production is essential to eternal life. Let us know right now as we stand and sing by coming